Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Growing Woman podcast. Um, This podcast is all about aiming um, to have women's voices amplified, hear their stories, and really look at all the small ways that we have become successful in our lives, how we've grown, and just share each other's journeys. So my name is Christina Singh, and I am your host, and I am so, so, so excited for our show today. Probably one of the most exciting shows that I've had so far, Um, and I cannot wait to chat with today's guest, but first and foremost, I want to thank you all for your support of this show. To everyone who has been listening to us on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, thank you so much for your love and your comments and your listens. Um, Just it's really wonderful to hear that you guys are resonating so much with these stories and these women that I'm talking to. So I feel the same way, so I'm so happy you are as well. Um, And today's guest is Connie Subcheck. I am so excited to talk to Connie, Um, and I know Connie through one of my best friends in the entire world, and so I'm going to introduce Connie, and then we'll chat more about that. Um, So Connie Subcheck is the author of Embody, Learning to Love Your Unique Body and Quiet That Critical Voice, her book in which she skillfully and lovingly reconnects readers to their precious bodies, life force, and beauty. Connie's experience with an eating disorder in her teen years and the death of her sister, Stephanie, fueled her desire to create a new world for her daughter, Carmen, to grow up in, one where all people are free to love their bodies. In 1996, she and Elizabeth Scott co-founded The Body Positive, a nonprofit organization that teaches people to listen to their bodies, learn, and thrive. As a result, thousands of people have been given tools to develop balanced, joyful, balanced and joyful self-care and a relationship with their whole selves that is guided by love, forgiveness, and humor. Connie's passion is watching the light that emerges when people recognize and embrace their magnificent, authentic selves. Amen. Thank you for being here, Connie. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Thank you, Christina. What a pleasure. (laughs) I'm so excited about your show, too. It's just amazing. Thank you. Well, you are one person that was on my list of people I really, really wanted to talk to in my life Um, and, you know, beyond because I've known you since I was 19 and I'm 32 now, which is wild. And I know. And I remember the first time I met you because um, you are the aunt to one of my favorite humans in the whole world, Bill. Uh, and he and I became best friends in college and we remain dear friends and best friends. And, um, he told me about your organization, the body positive. And I remember going, I believe we were in Berkeley, um, maybe, and we were going to an event that you were having at a wine bar. And I remember what I was wearing. I remember going in there and hearing your story and your mission and just feeling like, Oh my God, this is totally what I've been looking for my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like I've been looking for somebody to talk about this, talk about being free in your body and talk about loving yourself. And you just did it so effortlessly. And so that has remained, my admiration for you has remained and for the body positive has remained. And I am so happy to have known you all these years. And I just wanted to talk to you about how you started your journey and who you are. Um, so who are you? Where, where are you who from? Is? How did you start your journey? <laughs> who is this strange person? <laughs> how did I start? So I 
I started with my struggle with my own eating disorder. So when mm -hmm. I was 12 years old, I really, uh, two things happened. One was that at home, um, my oldest sister, Stephanie, who um, was about four years older than I was, she was a very, very big person. She was almost six feet tall. She had really big feet. She was just big. And, um, and looking back, I can see that she was binge eating during her teenage years and had um, felt just felt like she didn't really fit anywhere. And she felt so much shame. And at the dinner table, what would happen is my dad would talk about her weight. And so she would cook for us. And then he would say, are you sure you want to eat that, Stephanie? Do you know how many calories are in that? And it was just this process of listening to my dad always talking about her and her food. And my dad used to always also point out other women's bodies and, you know, make comments about people's bodies. And I, I didn't really ever understand what was happening at the time. I was very young. And, and so for me, listening to him talk about Stephanie, I just absorbed all of those messages. And so yeah. she went to Weight Watchers and lost a bunch of weight. Um, but when she went to Weight Watchers, I started dieting with her. And so I was very scrawny. I was prepubescent. I was just this, and I'm also very short, you know, much shorter than my sisters. And mm. so I, I was a small person, but I thought something was wrong with me. And so, and at the same time um, at school, all of my friends were starting to diet. So we were in junior high and I was in a new friend group and kind of a little above me socially is sort of how I would describe it. And in terms of not quite feeling like I fit and I was younger than everybody. And yeah. so there was a strong desire to fit in. And so I started dieting with them and all the body hatred, it all started. So from both sides, I got it. Um, mm -hmm. And then from culture, obviously, even though it wasn't as it is now, there was media, a lot of it, and it got in. And um, at the age of 15, I developed bulimia. So it started just as dieting. And then at age 15, a friend of mine told me about bulimia. We, there was no word for it at the time. Uh, we just all had it. And it was a very normalized behavior in our friend group. And wow. so, yeah, that's a really interesting thing to look back on and see that no one knew what we were doing. And we just thought that this was, you know, something that was very cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then at, Stephanie independently developed bulimia. And we, she had gained all the weight back after Weight Watchers, which 95% of people do plus more. Um, and so she, she independently discovered um, how to be bulimic. And so then we really bonded over our body hatred and we supported one another in, in our eating disorder and in trying to change our bodies. Um, and then I moved away. I um, came to Berkeley as a transfer student and um, kept dropping in and out of college. I thought something was wrong with my major. My bulimia just went out of control. I was so isolated and lonely and was with a partner who would poke my thighs and tell me I was soft and oh I needed to go running. I was an obsessive exerciser already. And so all of the, I mean, it, it's kind of a classic eating disorder story with all of the influences that just kept me in my eating disorder. And then at at the age of 21, so it was at a point where I was in between majors because I kept thinking still that something was wrong with my major. I was, I um, had an experience where I really felt I, I was getting suicidal and mm -hmm. I started having dreams about suicide. I was standing on my roof. I know that I, I, I don't think, I know I wouldn't have done it, but I was so desperate and so much in pain that I didn't want to live as I was living. And I had this really interesting moment where 
I'd had the dreams, but I had forgotten them. And my mom called me and said, I think you're trying to kill yourself. I had just told her and saying, I think I have some form of anorexia. And she said, I think you're trying to kill yourself. And like immediately the dreams came back to me and I had this really profound wake up call of, oh, I want to live. I really want to live. I want to live, but I can't live like I'm living. So yeah, I think I just dug down deep and there was some spark of life inside of me that held on and I grabbed onto that. I changed my friend groups. I broke up with the person that I was with and started um, dating someone who actually loved me for who I was and um, accepted my behaviors and helped me not by talking about it too much, but just like being with me and caring about my whole self. And all of my new friends were interested in all sorts of things and didn't talk about their bodies. And so yeah. I healed myself from my eating disorder through that slowly, but surely the behaviors went away. And then at that point, after the behaviors were gone, then I started seeing a feminist therapist. And it was in 1981. And so this person was amazing, Kim Chern, and she'd written a book called The Obsession, Reflections on the Tyranny of Slenderness. And so then I got the cultural context for what was happening to me. And then I got really pissed off. And yeah. I was always a feminist. I mean, I was raised in the 70s and I was raised with liberal parents. And so the 60s were very important to me. And even though I was so young, my dad was a journalist. I had taken all of that in. I was feisty. I was always fighting for my rights anyway. But at that point, I just got really, really mad. And I think right. that that's what really helped. Um, ended up going back to school. I got a degree in psychology. I feel like I lost the education I could have had because mm -hmm. of my eating disorder. I'm, I grieve that a lot. And yeah. But it's what it is. And it led me to where I am now. And I spent... Um, 10 years doing massage and body work. Some of that overlapped with the body positive, which is the right. organization I created, but the body work was really interesting. I was going to become a therapist, but when I started doing the hands-on therapy work, it was my gift. And I realized that I was able to help people he heal as a, I, I see my hands as a non-judgmental mirror for people mm. and non-sexual unconditionally loving mirror so people could see themselves and it was really, really beautiful and people started making changes in their lives um one person she wanted to become an actress but, and she was in her 40s and she never felt she could and so suddenly she was just like i'm gonna do this and, you know, and this and all happened through massage and this yeah. all happened through your body work um yeah i want to go back to you talking about your moment where you had that mm. where your mother asked you that question or, or, or made that statement to you. Mm -hmm. um, and the concrete actions that you mentioned that you took to change um, your behaviors and, and you realize, I want to live like this is this is not for me. Um, because you were obviously faced and surrounded by so many messages telling you you weren't right in your body that something was wrong in your body. Um, that was probably very scary, I, I would imagine, just taking that change. How did that feel in those moments and what kept you going to, to take those steps? Because I think a lot of people get to those places and they might not know how to take those steps or, or what can keep them going. Thank you for asking that. Most people just gloss right over that part and I, I forget to really think about how powerful that moment was. I 
it was interesting because I had been traveling a bit and I was with someone all the time with my partner at the time. And, and so the bulimic behaviors had disappeared or they were put on hold for a month. And then as soon as I got home, they came right back. Mm -hmm. And so I'd had this moment of experiencing the freedom. So I knew what it felt like to be free, even though I was very restrictive during that time and everything. There were moments where I felt incredible freedom in my body. And so I think that that was what led to, I also am a very intuitive person. My dreams always speak to me. Mm-hmm. I am constantly working things out through dreams. I have intuitive moments where I just know something and the words come out and I, I didn't understand it at the time, but that was one of those moments, which was, it's really important that you live. There's a yeah. reason. And I, and I didn't understand. I was 21 years old. I, I was a baby. I didn't know anything. I was very naive. Also, I, I, I feel like I'd been sheltered in some ways. And so there wasn't a lot of um, introspection in a certain way at the time. And so, but it was just this feeling, it was physical. It was a physical feeling of ah, like almost just like this flame was lit. Like there was a little spark and I could feel the flame. And so at that point it was really scary. And I started speaking truth. And it was the first time in my life I had been hiding and lying. I was such a good liar. I was so great at, I grew up in a family where we were always hiding kind of who we were. I just had a conversation with my 92 year old mom about how she was raised to hide. And Mm. she's dealing with that now at the end of her life, trying to be honest. And so I grew up in a family where there wasn't honesty. And so the, the first step was just following things that felt good. Right. Real and honest. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I can look back and, and analyze it, but that's what I was doing. I was following the things that felt good to me. So being with this person who was poking my thighs, who was also not faithful, there were so many things going on in that yeah. relationship. It was, it was pretty, it was, um, yeah, there were some real big issues. And so to leave that behind and to, feel good being with somebody who could see my whole self and that felt good. And then being with friends and just letting their love soak into me. And I told them, I told them all what I was experiencing. Wow. There was just this sudden need to be honest with everybody. And I lost friends along the way. I did. I would say things that, and, and I was truthful and I lost people and, but I just kept moving towards things that felt good. Right. It's, I, it's, think, it's, I yeah. think that's what it was. I mean, I've never really stopped to think about it clearly about how I did it. And then one of my new friends, her mom was a therapist who worked with people with eating disorders. So she sent me some information and there was a little booklet that came with that from someone who um, ended up being in my life as actually published my book. Um, She formed a publishing company, but she had had bulimia and she wrote this little pamphlet about how she got over it. And so I started collecting things and I started collecting information and it was like moment by moment by moment by moment. Right. It makes sense. (laughs) And, and it makes sense that, you know, that's, I think number one, that's such a great piece of advice and, and it's so great to learn from you that 
in that moment, you followed what made you happy in every way. And you continued to do that. And I think you continue to do that to this day because it proves right. It just, that, that research, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> and, and there's actually research, which is interesting <laughs> that pleasure, and I write about that in my book, that pleasure is an incredible source for self-care because that's mm. humans need that. Right. And if you think about it, that, yeah, the, the situations I in, that I were in were just so painful. Yeah. And so suddenly pleasure became this guide. And yes, there were excesses in the early days in many ways. And yes, there were many struggles in different areas with that because I, was, I sort of flung myself out in the world without a whole lot of protection or support. So in some ways I struggled, but it still just kept coming back to that doesn't feel good. That feels good. That doesn't. Yeah. I, and now it's fun to know that there's research. My whole life has been about living. And then someone will say, Oh yeah, someone did a study about that. I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. You're like, so to know that I'm validated. Yeah. I think that's so great. And obviously such a lesson that is, has been woven through your life and your career. Um, and has had then led you to understanding that what also feels good is healing people and healing people's bodies and healing people with yeah. your hands in that moment in time. How long were you doing that before you um, moved on to forming the, bo the body positive? Were you doing that while you from it? How, how did that come about? So that's an interesting story too. And it, when I look back, I just turned 60. So when I look back on my life and I see how different things happened to lead me from one phase to the next, I, I was working really hard at that point. I'd had my daughter, Carmen. She was so well, many things. So my sister, Stephanie, backtracking a little bit. She got breast implants also when she was young and um, she ended up, one of them hardened. And so two plastic surgeons took their forehands and crushed, slammed into her breast. And so the breast implant softened, but it oozed silicone into her bloodstream mm -hmm. and she developed an autoimmune disease that no one diagnosed for over a decade. And so she ended up dying from complications from the autoimmune disease plus malnutrition because she never got over her eating disorder. Yeah. And the sad part of the story is that, so she, she won a free trip for two to Hawaii when I was almost 22. And that was the end of my bulimic behaviors. I said, I'm not going with you unless we don't do this together. We're not going to partake in these behaviors together. And I brought all my information with me and we read them and we ate together and we looked in the mirror and in the morning we put on our bathing suits. I'm like, you look just like you did yesterday. And she would say the same for me. And so we mirrored for each other that we were, we were fine. Um, you know, we were the same, we could eat food and we could be the same people. And so that was all I needed. And that was like the final one last thing. Cause I was on my way and that was it. And I came home and it was gone for me. She went right back to it. And so she died when she was 36 from malnutrition mm -hmm. and the um, complications from the autoimmune disease. Yeah. And so Carmen, my daughter was a year old and I got really scared and I didn't know, I didn't consciously understand what was happening, but I was so afraid of raising a girl child in this culture. Now, I mean, it's all genders. And so that's, it's hard, it's worse in some, so many ways. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to make sure that she could love her body, that she would never think something was wrong with her. I'm fiercely protective. And so as a mama, I was like, this is never going to happen to her. 
but I was also scared. Like it happened to two out of three of my sisters and my other sister struggles, struggled a lot with her body. Mm-hmm. Um, something was brewing inside of me. So I was still doing my massage work and there was this feeling of something else is coming. And I didn't know what that meant at all. Like I need something more. And then I was supposed to work on a man Um, He was the husband of one of my clients. I worked on him once. I had two dreams about him two nights in a row that he was abusing his wife and very violent dreams. And I was still going to go and work on him. And a couple of days before I was supposed to go, my back went out on me. And so I think the universe, I mean, my body, my body is just so in tune. My body said, no, you're not going to go. And the dreams were so vivid and I ignored them. And a year later, so during that time, I had to find something else. I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I had some interesting experiences that led me to realize that I wanted to work with teenagers around their bodies, plant seeds. I wanted to do something creative. So I wanted to do the video work and storytelling felt really important to me. So it's sort of all in very bizarre, weird ways with mm-hmm. strange little signposts along the way that I followed, got me to this place of this is what I'm going to do. Someone said, you should start a nonprofit. So I said, okay, I'll start a nonprofit. I knew nothing about what I was doing. I was just following these little intuitive leads everywhere. Mm-hmm. And a year later I had, I had started, um, really thinking about what am I going to do? And I've kind of gotten this whole work started. And then my back healed. As soon as I really made the decision, I found the book Healing Back Pain, which is all about the connection between mind and body. Mm. And I had been told by a physical therapist, don't pick up your child, don't walk on uneven ground, don't ride in a car, don't do your work, don't live, basically. Yeah. And I was so depressed. And one day someone said, get orthotics. So I was waiting for the orthotic store to open. I went to the bookstore and I was, I found this book healing back pain and it changed my life. And, but I'd already shifted into the next part of my work. And so I was able to do massage while I was building the body positive for several years. And so they overlapped a bit. A year later, I found out that the man was abusive to his wife. Wow. From the friend of hers. Wow. Yeah, that he's absolutely horrifying and um, that that would happen. And I know about your sister and I know what you all have been through with her. And I know she was uh, an incredible person and that she was larger than life. And um, fortunately, I get to be... Uh, get to see that in her son and and her daughter and I think it is as you very well know heartbreaking and so transformative and beautiful that you could create something out of this pain and out of this desire to honor her memory and to honor your child and yourself Mm -hmm. and other people who are experiencing this pain that you went through. Um, And literally physically you were experiencing that pain to shift in your life. What did those early days look like when you were having this realization and when you started taking those concrete actions, what were those actions like when you founded the body positive and, and what did you do to start, creating this um, community and this energy and this atmosphere? It's, I'm laughing because <laughs> I knew nothing. I, I, I have um, 
been a person who has just kind of flung myself literally through life. And so I wish I could say that there was a big plan always, but my life has been about doing everything by experience. And so some of it works and some of it doesn't. But in those early days, I, the first thing I did was I just, I, it was really pre-internet. There wasn't, the yeah. internet wasn't a thing. I mean, there was email, there was a little bit of internet. It took hours to finally get somewhere because of dialogue. I mean, this is way back. It was the, it was the mid nineties. It was 1995. And so I just started writing. I just sat on my computer and I started writing down every single thought that I had about the topics that I could think of. And I started going to the library and finding books. And I started looking at all of the things that had been a problem for me, like the magazines and, and, and just commenting and making comments and then finding other authors. And the beauty myth came out around that time. And so reading that and gathering ideas about that and then talking to people, I just started calling everybody I knew and telling mm -hmm. every single person that I knew what I wanted to do, which was, I want to make a video for teenagers to plant seeds that there's a different way to live in a human body. And I wanted it to be for all genders. And it was this thinking that this could be this tool that schools could use. So can we reach this generation? And my hope, my grand hope was that, so these are young people who will then have children and per, or not, or work with children or maybe have children in their lives. And perhaps then, we can break this cycle because that won't get passed on yeah. to another generation. And that's all, that's what I held on to. I, I held on to that. And, and I reached out to my former therapist and her partner was um, in a group with Elizabeth Scott, who is a therapist mm -hmm. that I ended up meeting a couple of years into the, or about a year and a half into the process. And we ended up joining forces and uh, she was working in schools. And so she had the idea of doing this peer leadership program. And so she was working with another nonprofit. I at the time was working with another person that wasn't right. And so she left the nonprofit. I asked the other person to leave and we joined forces, wrote our first grant yeah. and got funding to do a peer leadership program. Incredible. So now that so you have funding you've started this organization essentially mm -hmm. what can we go over what is the body positive what is its yeah. mission and what does your work look like i want to say first too because if someone's trying to start something new I, the first year before i met elizabeth i wrote many grants and every single one was rejected mm. it every it was all about rejection Running a nonprofit is all about rejection. And 100% being able to handle, people. Oh, oh, I don't know if I recommend it. <laughs> I think there's better ways, like social enterprise. I had no idea what I was doing. No idea what I was doing. And I, I, I took a grant writing class. So I was like, I know how to do this. And then finally, I had somebody who had been one of my massage clients who offered to help me and ripped to shreds everything that I was writing. And it was faxes, you know, and on that long fax paper that came out. And I would, yeah. like, I, mean, I just think oh, about yeah. how, you know, ancient the technological times were. And it was so much work. And so then I would redo my grants and I got a very small one with the help of my friend. And then Elizabeth and I wrote this other one and we had a contact. And so things kind of, through people that she knew. And so, so that's how we got that first grant, but it was, yeah. a, 
why I didn't give up is, is I don't, you know, I, there was just this, I had this muse kind of situation where I just felt like I have to keep going. And every time I think about stopping, I had this pull to like, keep going, keep going. Mm -hmm. So I would like to point out and say to people, if, if you have like an idea or something you want to do and it doesn't seem to fit anywhere and you don't feel like you fit or some weird, bizarre little thing shows up and says, do that, you know, and it makes sense and you just keep wanting to do it. Listen to that. Listen yeah. to your intuition. Listen to the strange things along the way. Thank you for that. I really yeah. appreciate it. And it really yeah. resonates with me and really resonates, I'm sure, with people listening right now, because something that we talk a lot about on this show is vulnerability and then fighting through fear and those uncomfortable moments. Um, one of our past guests, Stephanie Vershow, talked about when you get a wound and it stings, um, when you put you know, uh, hydrogen peroxide or Bactine on it, it has to sting and it, in order for it to heal. You have to go through those uncomfortable moments in order to get to the other side. And so I think that isn't, you know, uh, very much your story in general. And I think also this moment of that first year, you were living in a lot of those uncomfortable moments. But from what I hear you saying is, if you have that why, if you have that purpose, if you have that understanding of that why, that will keep you going and it will keep you yes. pushing and, through. Yeah. And, and be okay being a beginner. I told mm -hmm. myself, these little nuggets of wisdom that came through. I mean, I feel like they came through a lot of it came from my mom too, helping me psychologically and emotionally get through this calling that once I realized I was tapped and there yeah. was something I had to do. And, and I remember saying to myself, it's okay to be a beginner. I would make phone calls and I mean, trying to find a fiscal sponsor, but I didn't quite have the right language. So I was fumbling through it. And the person said, oh, a fiscal sponsor. And instead of being embarrassed and collapsing in a shame that I didn't have the right word, it was like, oh, okay. So the next call, you know, I was like, hello, I'm yeah. looking for a fiscal sponsor. <laughs> and so <laughs> learning along the way and allowing myself to be a beginner. And I've been using that all the way through 25 years now of work because I'm always a beginner at new things that I'm doing. And so to be able to allow myself to to not know and be okay not knowing. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's painful as mm -hmm. hell sometimes to not know and to have to kind of fumble along and make mistakes and people call you out on things. And it's just, if you have something inside of you, it's worth it. It's worth mm -hmm. it to get through all of that stuff and do it. I, I think that's such a beautiful message. And I'm really hoping people listening will have that resonate with them. Um, you mentioned the tap, which we've talked about on this show before. Um, one of our guests, Nina, she started her own business and she talked about the tap, tap, tap moment that she had. Um, were there any going, you know, along through this, this journey, whether in that first year or those first few years, did you have any other taps that popped up that were, were calling to you to continue? Yes, all the way through that's been there. It's, it, there were times, there was a moment we were doing, we had, at, so as soon as we got our first grant, then we started getting more grants. And it was a time when uh, I live in California 
California Health Foundations were really interested in girls and eating disorders prevention. And we were the first organization outside of a university setting that got funding for eating disorders prevention. And it, we, it just kept coming in. And people used to joke, oh, you have the Midas touch. And we kept getting grant after grant and raised over a million dollars quite quickly over you know, a couple of years. But at the time, the amount was astronomical for how small we were and what we needed. And then suddenly it all changed because people started focusing on traditional obesity treatment and prevention. And we didn't change our message, which is health at every size. And that didn't exist at the time either, but honoring yeah. size diversity and honoring all bodies and honoring people's genetics and, and ancestry. And so we didn't change our message and all of our funding went away. And then I, I wrote a grant with a Harvard researcher to the Department of Education to test our program because we'd been doing it in high schools and it was really beautiful and working and making change in people's lives. And, and I was sure we were going to get it because I wrote it with a Harvard researcher and she's this amazing <laughs> human being. And it was a beautiful grant. And again, the intuition piece came in months later. I had no idea when it was going to, when we were going to find out, but I was up walking in the hills and I literally like came out from the hills onto the street and I stopped right in the middle of the street and said out loud, cause that's how my intuition usually like pops out and it said, you're not going to get the grant. And the next morning I went to my office, turned on my computer and there was the rejection. Wow. And at that point, like we had lost our funding. So I had lost my staff. There was, I was alone in this office and I had built this altar in our little upstairs nook. And I was sitting there and I just was like, what do you want from me? <laughs> what do you want? Why do I have to keep doing this? I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. If there's a reason to keep going, show me a sign. Literally the next day I got a, a message from this woman that I had met and sort of started with, it was kind of like an early social network when I look at it now that she had created for businesses mm. and people doing good in the world. And, and through her, um, she was working for a philanthropist that they had started it. And she said, so how's it going? I haven't seen you on the, whatever the name was of this thing for a while. And I said, well, I just didn't get a grant that I wrote. And I just, so I'm not sure what's happening. And she said, oh, how much do you need? We're giving out grants right now. Or how much was it for? And I said, well, that one was for $1.6 million, but I'll take anything right now. And without any effort, I got a grant and I kept going. Wow. Yeah. I, I love it that kept story. happening. Yeah. So what is the work that you do at The Body Positive? Yes. So The Body Positive is a nonprofit organization that teaches people to listen to their bodies and to learn from the wisdom in their bodies and ultimately to thrive. And it's about each individual's unique story. It's not about what a lot of the mainstream body positivity is, which is love yourself all the time and everything's perfect and love yourself the way you are. You never want to make changes. That's not what our, our version is. Our version is that each person has a unique path in the world and to um, figure out what the obstacles are to having peace in our bodies and to having the best self-care we can for our unique circumstances and life experiences and then being able to whether it's getting help or re remove those obstacles on our own however it happens to be able to keep moving forward and keep getting the noise out of the way so that we can fully connect with who we are and to honor these bodies that we have so mm -hmm. i was just reading um 
there's, yeah, to, to want to change our bodies is, can be a big part of it. So I was reading a person's story about getting top surgery and feeling before that, before they had it, that they didn't feel connected with their body. And that's so important. And their belief before was that they were supposed to love themselves just the way they were, because that's mm -hmm. what it means to be body positive, And that's not it. And so I really want to make that clear because I think that that's one of the things that gets in the way. We're going to struggle with our bodies. We're going to struggle in life. We're going to suffer. And, but being body positive is about being human, but being connected to ourselves and honoring the traumas and honoring all of the things that have happened and then finding ways and finding support and knowing that we deserve to have that love. Yeah. So that's, what? that's, my essence of what it is. Um, <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And I remember finding the body positive when, I, like I said, at the top of the show, when I was 19 and I met you and I was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Um, because there is this journey that we all go on with our bodies and there's this history everyone has and there's trauma everyone has living in their bodies. And um, I think you so beautifully outlined such a clear path that so many of us desire and that we would want to take um, to get to this place of just purely being okay. <laughs> yeah. And what programs have you developed at The Body Positive to help forward your message and to help forward this mission and um, help people? So Yes, in the early days, we had we worked with high school girls. That mm -hmm. at the time we worked with with girls um, identified um, as female or girls identified. I guess you know, looking back, it was really like there, the gender stuff really wasn't around. Yeah. So it was pretty much probably um, not all. Yeah, pretty much cisgendered girls mm -hmm. who we started working with. Um, queer girls, um, but there wasn't much talk about gender at the time. Right. So teenage girls who wanted to start programs in their schools. And so they would run groups on campus and they would have meetings and they would do classroom presentations. So that's really where we started. Um, we've come a long way since then and we work with all genders. We, our work is very much um, addressing a lot of the oppression systems of oppression that are happening to people of color, to um, queer and trans people, and just the all the different ways that that bodies are told that they're not okay in our society. Right. So, so we have now um, online training, so people can take our online. Um, facilitator training and become facilitators to use our curriculum to create programs in their communities. And what I, I love about our work is neither Elizabeth nor I believe that our message is the be all end all and that we honor the um, wisdom of the people who are taking our work and taking it out into the world right. and their life experience. And so we're just providing a starting place. And if people honor that we're teaching health at every size, honor size diversity. It's not about dieting. It's um, not including these messages, but love your body if you lose weight. You know, it's like mm -hmm. if there's certain 
pieces that they honor that and really leading people towards intuitive self-care. Um, if someone has an eating disorder, yes, they need to be on food plans perhaps. And so, but the goal is to lead people to that freedom. Um, to that. intuitive. Then they can take the, the work and do whatever they want with it. So we have a really beautiful online training. It, um, and we used to do the trainings in person and mm -hmm. we were doing that up until last year. And interestingly, I had this gut feeling in 2017 that we had to get everything online. And so we moved all of our programs online and then yeah. here we are now. With yes. In the middle of COVID-19 where we're yes. all online. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm really grateful. So people can access our work. We also have programs for individuals who want to take, learn about our, the five competencies of our B body positive model. And so, um, that that's another way for people to access the work if they don't want to become a facilitator. Right. And then, yeah. So those, that's the main ways that we teach now and mm -hmm. sort of rambled through that one. No, um, no, my, I know <laughs> I have a next question. I have one more question about, um, you mentioned the five competencies of your B body positive mm -hmm. model. What are those competencies? Yeah. So the first is reclaim health and that is around, honoring our ancestors who gave us these bodies to understand what we have been given in terms of our genetics, in terms of um, perhaps um, illnesses or, or different things that are going on with our bodies, that, that a lot of it is genetic, also our size and shape, and, and who do we come from, and whether we know our ancestors or not. You know, if we're adopted, we don't know them. We still can really imagine how they live in our bodies based on what we are experiencing. Mm -hmm. So the other is part of Reclaim Health is understanding our body story. What have you been told about your body? What are all those messages that you've gotten from early, way early days around who you are supposed to be in your body and how to care for it and what is health and what is beauty and all of the different pieces. So what are those messages, positive or harmful, whatever, you know, to really take stock of it. And then where are you now with all of that? How much have you internalized of those external messages right. and made them your own? And then really, where do you want to go? And in terms of being the author of your story moving forward, and what, is, what are your dreams and imaginings to how you can be in this amazing vessel that you have that gives you life? Um, right. So that's Reclaim Health. And then ultimately becoming the expert of your own body. So experimenting. So a doctor says something, you can listen and follow exactly, and that's fine. Or you can experiment and see how it feels for you. And so any information that comes in, it's always an experiment. So the second is practice intuitive self-care. And that's coming into then the body part of the listening and everything that I've been talking about, about listening. So this is the deep, the deep, deep, deep listening. And it's a practice. So practicing through trial and error and trial and success in terms of all the pieces around food and movement and rest and relationships and careers and just trying things out and then seeing how it fits and how it feels. Yeah. And that that's really how we can live a health at every size lifestyle and how we can become the experts of our bodies. The third and the only way to live with trial and error, because it's hard, is to have, cultivate self-love. So I think it, it's, it's, um, it's deep. It's not love yourself. Like I keep hearing a lot, just have mm -hmm. self-love. This is deep. This is deep. Like, um, yeah, keep coming home to yourself. Why, I think of 
for myself, like loving, loving my body and loving myself comes first. And then there's the piece around acceptance. So maybe I'm not accepting parts of my aging self or I'm having trouble because of external messages from society that have gotten in. But I love my body because it gives me life. And doing, we do a lot of work around the critical voice, turning towards it, seeing these fearful parts of ourselves and and turning towards them and, and helping them to understand, you know, why they're trying to protect us. So it's this really deep process of building a practice that for me makes me feel like I have arms of love, unconditional love wrapped around mm. me, even when I'm beating myself up, you know, even when <laughs> yeah. I'm having a hard time, there's still this feeling of a presence of like, Oh, you're having a hard time. You'll get through it. Okay. You're you there. know, so they, there's something that I can like, I feel like there's a return to this place because it's always there for me. So that's cultivate self-love. The fourth is declare your own authentic beauty mm-hmm. comes back to our ancestors again. And I have chills just thinking about it when we can all really embrace the humans that all thrived and procreated and came together and continued this process to get us to be able to have life. So going all the way back to the very first human, this is, this is our ancestry and who are these people? And if we don't connect with the people in our lives now, or don't know them to imagine this whole line of people that had to survive in order to give us this opportunity for life. And then to see beauty in that, to see beauty in diversity and to, allow ourselves to start our definition with ourselves just as we are in this moment, even if we want to make changes because then that takes us out of the beauty hierarchy. So I have chosen and it's not easy every day. And as I said, I just turned 60 and I live, we live in a culture that doesn't really particularly honor aging female bodies, especially. And um, so, but to still, to start my definition every day with myself, I, then I'm not comparing. I'm not comparing to anybody because I've got it. And then I can see, I see so much beauty, so much beauty in the world, especially when I get to be with groups of people and seeing right. all these incredibly diverse humans and not expecting anyone to be different in order to have beauty. Um, so that's really one of my favorite competencies. And then the fifth is build community. So that's creating body positive community for ourselves, which might just be one other person that we can reach out to when we're struggling with what we've been told or things are difficult. And also a place we can go to that's not about talking about diet culture in the way of comparing again, or you're this and I'm not, and I did this and I'm bad and you're, you know, all that stuff that how people connect with each other. And so it's a, it's a place where people can come and be raw, vulnerable. Yeah. And talk about triumphs as well as struggles. Thank you so much for beautifully outlining all of them. And um, what happens since I know you were doing in-person facilitations for years yeah. when people are learning and teaching people to do these facilitations, when people are learning these five competencies, because they, I mean, just listening to you talk about them, it's so powerful and I'm feeling so drawn to all of them. Mm. It's like, oh yes, this is exactly what we need. Um, what changes do you start to see? Like, because I know you're so mm. passionate about seeing that change. And, and when, are there moments where you see like, the 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 competencies clicking as you're going along and and what does that look like and and how how have you seen that 
Oh, chills again. Well, first of all, even in a very short talk, so if I go to a university or to speak to a group of people and, and I just do a short talk, by the end, because we have engaged, because all of the body positive work is about, you don't just sit and listen. It's usually yeah. like you have to get involved in some way. <laughs> You're going to be vulnerable somehow when you get to be with me. And um, I see more light in the room. I literally see more light in the room. I can feel it. And I'm very because I think too of having done the body work that I'm aware of people's energy and there's a, there's almost like a lifting up. Um, there's a lightness, there's energy coming off of them. There's connection between people in a different way than you see when everybody's sort of all in their little fearful selves and um, having to hide and, and, hold back and thinking something's wrong with them and everybody else has got it together so there's this connection that happens and in at our workshops and trainings and this is why I miss all being together I mean just like yeah. to see people then it breaks you know talking to each other and everybody's really animated and there's all this enthusiasm and it's it's um it's yeah it, there's something that happens and and I see it as like it's just kind of like there's a this just place of light. There's light shining, and there there are spaces of of um, yeah where we remove judgment and comparison, right. and, and create place for people to put down their shame and express their fears. Right, I I align with so much of that in just listening to you, and I think a lot of people listening when you're when you were talking about the five core competencies would probably relate to that as well. Um, so if you're listening to, if somebody is listening to this show and they're hearing these competencies and they're hearing this work that you're doing and they're already feeling lighter and they're already feeling like they're, um, they're already feeling lighter and they're already feeling like they're moving into that energy in that space, how would you um, encourage them to keep cultivating this practice? Yeah. Well, so one of the things I, I wrote, my book embody for people to be able to have that place to come back to, to keep working on it. And I hear from people a lot that they, that they read it or they'll read parts of it and put it down in practice and then they'll pick up more parts of it or they'll read it all the way through and then they come back to it. And so there's nuggets in there that help them keep, keep doing the practice. Um, so that's, that's one way. Definitely connecting with somebody else who has made the choice to reject all the bullshit <laughs> that's out there telling <laughs> us who we're supposed to be. I'm just going to name it for what it is because we can name it diet culture or this or that. It's just all of it, wherever it comes from, whether it's coming from your family or whether it's coming from media or wh wherever it's coming from your peer group, just to be able to find one person who says, I want to live differently. I want to make choices for myself based on what's right for me. I want to do the work to see my beauty. I want to do the work to be as healthy in the most beautiful way, sense of the word, not the tight, I'm going to be healthy because I'm so afraid way. Yeah. But like expand and think about what is what does it mean to be healthy and what are all the different parts of my life where I can you know whether it's emotional health or or you know environmental health what, what all the different ways that we can be healthy but just finding some person to be able to do that with and I think that even in these times of of 
where we're physically distancing ourselves, uh, it's harder and screens are fine and it's one way to do it. So if you have to do it through screens, I think the body positive Instagram is a place people really connect with yeah. a lot. I, I think that that's a beautiful space to be in and, and be very thoughtful about other stuff that's called body positive and check in to see if there's mixed messages with it. Um, if it feels right for you, that's really important. So I, like in raising my mm -hmm. daughter, one of the things I always say when she comes with some sort of issue, I say, how do you feel in your body? Mm. How does that information feel in your body? And so it takes time to, she's grown up with that. So she can do it pretty quickly. Like, oh, I feel, you know, tight or weighted or, you know, tense or whatever it is, or I feel open and expansive. And so that's a way to be able to test information coming in. How do you feel? Are you, I, I just have to say, I, um, I was going to do these. It started as our board of directors said, you know, maybe you could do something to help people. So during this time, so we decided I would do Instagram live coffee with Connie. So I did two of those and I felt so tense and so not right. It wasn't my space. <laughs> and then I did one more. I decided, well, change it to conversations with Connie. So I had a conversation. It was a lovely conversation with this amazing one of our leaders. And yet afterwards, my shoulders were up to my ears and I had a headache. And I just, and my mom who lives so this now I went to talk to her and I said, I don't think this is right. And she put her hands on my shoulder. She's like, Oh my God, this is not right for you. So I used <laughs> yeah. my body all the time. And, and then I felt yeah. like, Oh, I should feel shame that it, that now we've promoted this and now I'm not doing it, but my body doesn't want me to do it. And so I'm not doing it. So right. anyway, I mean, that's yeah. like a little tangent, but no, it's that's great. how I filter information and that's how I know what's best for me. And so finding right. people in your life that you can talk about this kind of stuff with, because it sounds crazy to some people. But I, I don't think it's, uh, I mean, yes, I think for some people who are not used to this and not used to listening to their bodies and really feeling things in their bodies, it could seem a little woo-woo <laughs> for some people, yeah. Yeah. but you know, there have been so many studies that trauma lives in the body yeah. that so many, so much of, of how we navigate through our day needs to be aligned in our body. Because as you were saying earlier, it's this beautiful vessel that contains our voice yeah. and it contains those moments that we can share with people. And I love your advice of finding at least one person that you can talk to and that you can share this moment with. Um, and I think you're also talking about, I mean, through your whole, through this whole interview, vulnerability, and you mentioned tackling vulnerability and tackling the shame uh, that comes, the messages of shame that come along with our bodies and just simply existing in the world. Yeah. So much of your work has been tackling those messages of shame around people's bodies. What have you seen and what have you been starting to see either develop in a positive way or, or some challenges that are still, we're still facing. I can think of a few <laughs> just off the top of my head, but what, what have you been seeing? Yeah, and I want to hear yours too. I, I, so one thing I want to say is if you have had trauma in your body, physical trauma, especially, it's not easy to connect two things. And I want to say, I used the word crazy and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory mm -hmm. way and woo yeah. is a better, better word for that. And so language is really important, I think. And so Trauma in our bodies 
makes it very difficult to listen. Yeah. So when I talk about listening, I, I say it in a way, I've, I've spent a lifetime practicing from the trauma of almost dying from my eating disorder. So the work has been over time and getting help from many sources from that point on to help me remove the trauma from my body. And it's come in layers that where I've been ready for it. So a lot of the looking back and seeing how much sexual abuse happened to me when I was a young woman that I didn't understand as abuse. Um, I didn't understand as rape at the time. I, I had a lot of things happen to me that now I can name. And yeah. so there have been phases throughout my life where I have done the work to release that from my body. Um, and so, so it takes time. So that's an obstacle to listening. That's an obstacle to what I want to say is that each and every single one of us deserves to get the support that we need to start getting that out of ourselves getting right. that releasing when you think of a body and you think of it down to the cellular level and that, I mean, every single cell is affected when something happens to us, whether it's something that's nourishing and life enhancing or whether it's something that's harming. So those cells are receiving all of that and they store that information. And so from being doing the body work, the work was about getting it out, like literally releasing the trauma from the cells, whether through breath work and, and vocalization, and then also like, you know, literally getting it out from yeah. the cells and having freedom from that. So that is a huge obstacle to having peace in our bodies. And then the other and having shame is that we live in a culture. I mean, look what's happening in our world now. Look what's happening mm -hmm. to people who live in black and brown bodies and queer bodies and yeah. trans bodies. I mean, it's just like the violence is like, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, and it's, it's real and it makes, it's a, the biggest obstacle to somebody feeling comfortable in their body when their body is told wrong just for being what it is. Right. So we have a lot. It's not just the individual doing the work. This is a societal effort to create change. So individuals can feel more at peace in their bodies. Right. And I think it's so important to note that this is not just about your weight. No, it's not just about the size of your body. No. It's about, every single aspect of who you are in your body. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's looking at you and telling you you're not, you're, you don't belong because you're in that body, that is traumatic mm -hmm. on every level. And so I really appreciate um, for those listening, the visual that you gave of like really kind of pulling like energy out of your body mm -hmm. Um, when you're working with people, um, from black and brown communities, what are some things that come up in your discussions and what are some ways that you've offered healing and, and peace for people in their bodies? So coming back to, I have no idea about how people should live their lives and yeah. I don't see myself as an authority saying this is right for you or you or you or you. I only know what's right for me. And right. I start there. And the next 
place is to listen. Our whole model is a um, feminist dialogical model. So we, we formed it by listening <clears throat> to other people. So it's really about asking questions and creating space for someone to be able to express whatever it is that their experience is with their body. And then for those who want to teach the work, as I said before, taking it and, and as a place to start and then making it right and changing everything that you want to change in order to make it right for your own community. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, it's about unconditionally loving a human being that's with me because I, I love people. I mean, I just feel like when someone's with me that wants to be there and we have a connection and we are there, it's, it's a, it's just that opening to the human connection and um, seeing the magnificence of the person that's in front of me mm -hmm. and being honored to be able to receive their story. Right. And then um, ask questions. Yeah. I love that. Ask questions. Um, and being open and able to receive someone's story um, with the fifth competency that you described around community, I think is so, so critical and so, so key. Um, I wanted to read a quote. Um, oh, are you there? Can you say that again? We froze. Oh, Maybe we froze? Okay, no problem. Yes, I, I just thought, there we, <laughs> we go. <laughs> because you said, I think that. <laughs> no, I was going to so say, I, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, and asking questions, uh, what you said about asking questions um, really resonates with me and being open to hearing someone's story and being open to um, just understanding someone's perspective and their story is really key. Um, and, and being open to holding space for people as you have with the body positive in, in being able to hold space for people to talk about their bodies and have a brave space where they can come into and be vulnerable and address shame is, is so critical. And having that fifth competency of community come into play. Um, and really that being so key, like you said, having that, um, vulnerability, buddy, I guess, <laughs> is, yes. is what I've been saying. Cool. I like um, that vulnerability, buddy. I like that a lot. It's, it makes all the difference. And I think that so much of what I struggle with in terms of programs, there are a lot that are great and there's a lot of great information, but it's whenever anybody says, I've experienced this, so it must work for you. Mm. I, that drives me. It's like, it's, it's something that really, I, I, my whole body tends up because mm -hmm. of that. I have, I mean, I, I want to really express again, if we could just focus on ourselves, I have, if someone asks me for advice or asks me my experience, I can explain from my own experience and I can share research with them that says this and this and this, but it still comes down to each person, figure, you know, that honoring the authority and the experience of every human being. So yeah that's the crux of our work. And Elizabeth and I worked really hard. We have made many mistakes and people have taught us and, and said, Hey, that hurt, or that didn't feel good. Or, you know, I didn't like that. And we're like, got it. So without collapsing into shame, it's like, 
I hear you, we will make changes in mm -hmm. how we present our work. So over time, it doesn't mean there's not going to be things going forward. And, and I know there's lots of things that I want to work on in my organization and in, the, in what I teach. And there's so much more learning to do to, to um, you know, really be inclusive. And the, I'm coming from my own social location, so I have a lot to learn and I have a lot of right. privilege. And so honoring that and then saying, I'm, I'm open to learning at all times. And imagine if we all did that with each other. I'm open 100%. to learning. Right. I mean, just hearing that from someone, I hear you, I'm open to learning. I'm open to have asking questions and learning. It, that means so much. And um, I wanted to share with you a quote that I found from one of your videos on the Body Positive YouTube page. I was, I was looking at some beautiful videos that you've posted. And it was a quote from somebody who had been through one of your programs. And it said, loving your body takes a lot of courage. And when you find that courage, then you're able to teach other people. And other people will notice that about you and the want to be around you. If that keeps happening, that can become universal. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is if we just keep learning and we have that courage to love our bodies and to attract that energy, that can become universal. How have you seen that in the work that you've done with the body positive? Hmm. I mean, that's really what it's all about. So I've worked with, people are always asking, how many schools have you worked with? How many people have you worked with? And I'm terrible at, in terms of business and like running an organization. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a healer and I'm a creative person. So all the other stuff has been hard for me. So I don't know how many, but thousands of people yeah. that I have worked with and who have taken this out in the world. And I think hearing you talk about it too and you knew bill and bill was in my life and so you got so much from bill because he got that from me and so so much of yeah. what you got was from him and and the way he lives in the world and so every one of our leaders that goes out there and reaches other people so when i get to hear from someone that especially someone that i've never met who yeah. comes up and says thank you yeah. for teaching so and so this because i'm doing this now and because of that i'm doing this i mean that to me is like yeah that's what I see. And, and now our, our peer leaders from way, way, way back when are having their own children. And so how they will raise their children, I know, is very different than what would have happened had they not had the body positive. Mm -hmm. As so we, that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And as we, you know, come to the conclusion of our, of our time together and as we, um, and this moment, is there anything that you would like to give people as we're stepping into this time where we're in very enclosed spaces, um, we're, you know, living with our bodies in, in close proximity, we're uh, living with other bodies, we're, you know, really trying, it, this is a very hard time when you're with yourself or with others, um, is there anything that you can give people when they're in this moment of um, trying to understand this process of loving oneself and being present in their body during yeah. this time? Oh, so much. 
So first of all, really honoring that there is fear present because of this virus and that whether we have the privilege to be able to stay home and be isolated or if we don't, I mean, and we're someone who is homeless or has a difficult situation that they're in and are forced to be at home with in an abusive situation. There's so many things that are going on right now. So uh, how to just to acknowledge that there's fear everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that that's key. There's fear and then there's uncertainty. And so that might mean if we do, if we are lucky and we have food with us that we will either turn to food or some people are turning away from food or some people are trying to control or restrict or there's a lot of fear around. I'm, I mean, I don't see it. I'm not on social media that much, but I hear about a lot of it yes. around the memes and stuff about fat jokes and all this stuff where people are like, I'm going to come through the other side and be, you know, skinny or whatever. And like, there's all this pressure yeah. that I'm supposed to do this or that right now. And, and I think that, I think that if we can just really come into the moment and breathe through each moment and acknowledge the fear, acknowledge the conditioned responses we have to our bodies and to food and whether it's, I shouldn't eat for comfort or I'm not getting enough exercise, all the different mm -hmm. things, you know, just like that, that tighten us up, tighten us up to be able to just breathe and acknowledge it first of all and sit with it and sit with the discomfort of it and just sit with the discomfort of the time and I read a lot and people think be gentle with yourself and that's hard to do sometimes just to, it's easy to hear it, but how do you actually do that? <clears throat> I think I'm, I'm taking a lot of moments where I just sit, whether it's in my yard, I feel very fortunate. I have a yard. I can yeah. look up in a tree, um, but wherever anybody is just to sit without having to do anything or be anything. And it's not like I'm meditating right now even, it's just to sit just for a moment and just be with whatever's going on and just acknowledge it and sit with it. Yeah. Thank you, Connie, so much for that. Okay. And thank you for sharing your journey and so many incredible moments that you've had in your life and in the lives of other people who you've taught <laughs> your, these modalities and these comprehensions too. And um, I'm just so grateful to know you first of all, and I'm so grateful to have your energy um, out in this world, teaching us these, these beautiful lessons. Where can people find you? Find me. So they can find us at thebodypositive.org. And the is very important because there's a whole lot of body positive stuff now. Yeah. That's because the internet happened. So before that, we were the body positive <laughs> and there was one other. And it was sort of easy. Um, but thebodypositive.org. And then we are on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook um, at the body positive or the body positive. And info at the body positive. Dot org if you want to reach me directly probably the best places to reach us perfect and I wanted to say one thing about I love the title because and I loved the way you explained the the change in when you changed the title of your show and thank you really beautiful and I have always since I've been an adult called myself a growing up <laughs> that I'm not, a, I'm still a growing up. Yes. The, the idea of a grown up has always bothered me because it stops the learning. So, yes. 
Um, I'm a growing up, <laughs> so I just wanted to say that that's why thank I love you. the title. <laughs> I love that so much, and thank you. That's the that's exactly you know what I was thinking as well, and and um, yeah, I think that we're all growing and throughout our entire time on this earth. Hopefully, hopefully, and yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much, You're and welcome. thank you so much for being here. If you want to follow the Growing Woman podcast, you can find us on Instagram at Growing Woman Pod. Um, we'll link everything to Connie's beautiful organization and her work in the episode and online um, on our Instagram page. You can follow us on Instagram, and you can find us on SoundCloud, um, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. And uh, we just so appreciate you all listening and being here today and um, your voice matters your story matters everything you're doing in the world matters so thank you for being here and sharing this moment with us and we will see you next week